Let's pray. Lord Jesus, why did you ride for us? Why did you die for us? It's because you truly love us. It's because you wanted to bring to us the greatest gift of all, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of eternal life. Help us to understand this evening what it means to live in your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today as we finish this series called A Great Life Now, the topic is going to be on, on forgiveness. And if you think about even our Lutheran worship, the central theme in our worship is what? It's forgiveness. We have a confession and absolution. What does that deal with? Forgiveness. In the Apostles' Creed, it talks about what? Forgiveness. In a little bit, we're going to have the um, Lord's Supper. What's that all about? Forgiveness. Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness. When I was at the seminary, they, they taught us that every sermon we preach, there should be some mention of forgiveness in every sermon because there might be people there, it's the only chance they're going to hear about the most important gift of all, that gift of forgiveness. And it's probably something we've heard of a lot, a lot, but the question is, do we really embrace it for what it really is? Are we truly living in that forgiveness? Because that forgiveness is meant to truly set us free. And so to start with, as I talk about this topic of forgiveness, I think it's important to go back to um, even the beginning of the Bible. Why do we even need forgiveness? Because right away we saw in the Garden of Eden, if you read in Genesis, that everybody, you know, Adam and Eve, they were perfect. Everything was perfect back then. But what happened? Sin came into the world. If you want to grab a Bible in front of you, I want to show you some sections from Scripture. First, on Genesis chapter 3. It's on page 5 in the Bible. And we see that Adam and Eve, they had one simple rule. Do not eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not touch it or you will what? You will die. One rule. Wouldn't it be kind of nice just to have one rule? What did they do? They broke it. They ate the fruit. Eve took some. Ate it, gave her husband Adam. He ate some too. And pick up in verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So right away they realize they're naked. They're ashamed of themselves. They're ashamed of each other. They're even ashamed of, of their relationship with God because they do what? They hide. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? Does God know where they're at? Sure. I think it's a loaded question. Where are you in your relationship with me? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They'd never had the experience of fear before. Now they're afraid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So Adam blames who? God and and Eve, not himself. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it this you have done? 
woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so she blames the devil. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right away in Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve mess up. God could have said, you know what? I'm done. You know, I think about times when I was... um, a kid growing up making like a Lincoln log cabin. It didn't turn out the way that I wanted. What I, what I do, guess what I do with it? Just tear it apart and start over. God didn't do that. He didn't give up. He makes a promise that one day a descendant of Eve is going to come and crush the head of Satan. And you look through the Bible, you see all these endless genealogies. So-and-so gives birth to so-and-so, gives birth to so-and-so. For those of you doing the, through the Bible in a year, we learned about a woman named Ruth who ultimately comes into the genealogy of Jesus. And, and the genealogy is traced from Adam and Eve through Seth, the third son, all the way to who? To Jesus. He fulfills a promise eventually. The promise of forgiveness. But forgiveness from what? What does sin look like? And so I want you to turn to page 282. 282. And God makes it clear. He unfolds his plan over history. And we see there the Ten Commandments. Chapter 5 in Deuteronomy, page 282. You see in here, it goes in a little bit more in depth in these commandments, but I want to kind of focus on the main things. Number verse 7, chapter 5. You shall know their gods before me. Okay? The God expects us to put him first in life. Then there is the second commandment, page, or verse 11. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so... What these first three commandments talk about is how to love God. How do you love God? You put him first. You don't misuse his name. We respect him, what we say, what we do. And the third thing we do is we worship God like we are right now. We set aside a Sabbath day. Initially, that day was Saturday. And then, you know, the Bible says set aside a day, which is a right day for you to worship, but also a day to rest. And then the next seven talk about what it means to love your neighbor. The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother in verse 16. Verse 17, you shall not murder. Verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. 19, you shall not steal. 20, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then the last two, do do not covet. First one talks about don't covet things. Next one, don't covet living things. Okay, the first one, things that are alive. The next one, things that are alive. And so what we see in here is that God lays out what is love. And what love is, is putting God first. What love is, is respecting God, what we say, what we do. What love is, is setting aside a Sabbath day and and worshiping God and, and resting our body on that day. What love is, is honoring your parents, respecting the life of all people, using sex in the context that God intended it to be used, to respect the property of other people, to lift people up, don't tear people down, in other words, speak the truth. And then the last two, do, do not live your life in such a way that you're always wanting other things. You, it's okay to, to get other things, but the things we should be living our lives thankful for what we have. Be thankful for what we have. And if God gives us more, We thank him for that, but the thing is, a lot of people are living their lives always wanting more. It's never enough. If we can learn to live that way, we're living in what? Love. 
There's two options in life. There's love, and the other option is what? Sin. And that's what we need to be forgiven of. God is perfect. God is holy. He's without sin. If we want to go to heaven, into a perfect heaven where there is no sin, our sin has to be taken away, and that's where the problem comes in. We do not have the ability to take away our own sin. So what did God do? He acted. He sends us a Savior in Jesus Christ. On the very first Palm Sunday, came into Jerusalem. And they were celebrating, and they were waving their palm branches, and they were shouting their hallelujahs. These same people that were praising him and all happy to see him, less than a week later did what? They killed him. They killed him. See, a lot of them were expecting an earthly king. They were expecting someone who's going to make Jerusalem a great city and the Jewish people to be in charge of the world again. It didn't happen that way. He came to bring something way better than anything the world has to offer. What's it called? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is what he came to bring. Now, we see this theme throughout the whole Bible. And to understand how this forgiveness works, I want you to turn to Psalm 51 on page 889, 889. Psalm 51. This is a psalm of David. David was the, the second king and considered the greatest of all the kings. God called him a man after his own heart. Um, David was pretty honest with God. You can, if you read his psalms, one minute he's saying, God, you're so awesome. The next minute, where are you, God? Why have you left me all alone here? But God loves David's honesty, but David messed up in his life. The Bible's a, full of all kinds of stories of people that lived, that messed up and made mistakes like we do. And David was no different. And so the preface to the Psalm 51, you know, David was not at war. He should have been with his army at war, but he was back in his palace. His army was off. He's up in his palace, looked down, and what do you see? A beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And he decides, I want her to be mine. And so he sends his henchmen, so to speak, to bring her to himself does what he shouldn't have done. And a short time later, he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. He also finds out that her husband, his name is what? Uriah. Uriah was one of David's generals. And so David sends for Uriah to come back to the palace from the battlefield and thinking that, that Uriah is going to go and be with his wife and, and, and um, in the process of being with his wife, they're going to think that the child's whose? Uriah's, not David's. But Uriah refuses to go to, his, to be with his wife. He goes to David's palace and says, you know what? I cannot go to be with my wife because all my soldiers are out in the field. They're living in tents. It's not right for me to be with my wife. I'm just going to sleep here at the doorstep of your palace until you give me my orders. And David does what? He decides he's going to get rid of this guy. And he gives him a notice that um, is sealed that Uriah himself can't open up. He gives it to him to bring to his main general. And so Uriah brings his orders to the main general, and he opens it up and says, send Uriah and his men to the front of the battle, and when the enemy attacks, pull everybody back so Uriah and his men are going to be what? Killed. And so it happens. Uriah and his men are murdered, killed. Is that a nice thing to do? That's nasty. That's terrible. Anybody here a mass murderer like that? How could this guy still be called the greatest of all the kings when he's something like that? 
And so time goes by, and what happens is David thinks he got away with this thing. He tries to hide it. But one day, a prophet named Nathan goes to David and says, David, I want to tell you a story. There was this guy that had one lamb, and he carried that lamb around like it was his pet. He loved that lamb, took it with him everywhere. There was this other guy, all kinds of lambs and goats and sheep, and he was just wealthy. He had everything. And the guy that was wealthy had some friends over, and rather than taking one of his own lambs for the meal, he took the one lamb from that guy. And as Nathan's talking, David says, that guy should die. And Nathan says, you are that guy. And right then, all of a sudden, his sin becomes really clear to him. And he wrote this psalm. And we see how his heart changes. And I want to explain some things to you because I think it's important to understand how forgiveness works. And so Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I want to stop there for a second. How do we sin? Thought, word, and deed. Sometimes by doing things, even by omission sometimes, or things maybe we should have done that we didn't do. And so, for the Hebrew people, David is kind of laying out the thought process how the Hebrew people viewed sin. You know, most of your sinning is not by what you do. Most of your sinning is, is by what you think. For the Hebrew people, sin, the word sin meant thought process. Okay? Forgive me for my messed up thinking, he's saying first. He says, forgive me for my transgression. The transgression, guess what that was? That was the act of doing the sin. You think about something enough, and what's going to happen? You're going to do it, Probably. And that the transgressions that act to do in the sin, he's also saying, forgive me for my iniquity. The iniquity is a cover-up. That after so often when you mess up, when you sin, you try to do what? Cover it up. And so he's asking for complete forgiveness for the bad thinking, for the um, actions he did, but also for trying to cover it up. He's laying it all out there. He's being completely open and honest with God. And guess what God does? When you think about the Ten Commandments, David broke almost every single one of them just in that series of events. God forgives David. Does that sound kind of crazy? That's amazing. God forgives David. There's consequences. The child that was born to them, guess what happens? child died. David's got a messed up family life, but he didn't do things the way God wanted. He took many wives, and God never wanted that to be the case. And so he paid consequence for his sin, but God forgave him, and he still goes down in history as the greatest of all the kings. And the reason I bring this up is because I believe that God is way more forgiving than we realize. There might be somebody here today thinking, you know what, I've done some things in my life that God could never possibly forgive me for. That's not true. God is extremely forgiving. There's a lot of really cool sections in this psalm. For those of you who grew up Lutheran, like in verse um, 10, 51. Create me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me your willing spirit to sustain me. David's just crying out, God, I am so sorry. He's forgiven. He confesses. He repents. God forgives. I want you to turn to... Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. 
It's on page 1819, 1819, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This really kind of lays out this whole concept of forgiveness and how works goes into it. It says, for it's by grace, I'm sorry, 2, 8 through 10, page 18, 19, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Does our forgiveness have anything to do with us? It's all Jesus. It's all his grace. He's the one, by his grace, our salvation has been done for us because of what Jesus has done. We don't do our salvation, it's been done for us, but we should, in response to what Jesus has done, response to his forgiveness and love, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our good works are a result of what? Our thanks to God, our love back to him. He loves us, we love him back. But also, too, what we see in Scripture is that we're supposed to forgive as well. If you would turn a few pages ahead to chapter 4 of Ephesians 4.32 on page 1822. 4.32. And it says in 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. That's huge. That Jesus forgives us, but we need to learn to do what? Forgive others. Okay? That's sometimes a very challenging thing to do. And one more verse that I want to share with you from 1 John. It's on page 1899. 1899. Last verse I'm going to share with you. We're First John 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So in pulling this together, when it comes to forgiveness, number one, we need to realize what sin is. And sin is living outside the bounds of love. And when we sin in our thoughts, our actions, trying to cover it up, what do we need to do? Be honest with God. Confess our sins. Turn to him. Ask him for forgiveness. And the reality is this. He forgives you. He forgives you. And when he forgives us, what happens to our sin? It's gone. It's, it's, it's removed. Our sin is completely taken away from us as far as the east is from the west is what the Bible says. And because of that, the way to heaven is open for us because of what Jesus has done for us. And what an incredible gift that is. But there's two things with that. That Jesus forgives us. One thing I want to make sure everyone else has done. We need to learn to forgive ourselves. Forgive ourselves. But also forgive others. You know, I was on this last week, I was reading a bunch of stories about what happened in Rwanda almost 20 years ago. And what took place in, in Rwanda was, there's two tribes there. There is the um, Hutus and the Tutsis. And they have had generations of anger, things festering, 
And what happened 20 years ago was the, Tutu, the Tutsis basically tried to do what? I'm not sorry, the Hutus. The Hutus tried to wipe out the Tutsis. And they killed almost a million of their neighbors, a lot of more neighbors. Almost annihilated that group until finally the army was able to stop this rebellion. And the Tutsis, um, some survived, but most of them lost family members, kids. And I'm reading stories about what has happened 20 years later. Because a lot of the, the um, Hutus that did the crimes, they went to jail, um, but a lot of them are getting released. And they're going back in their communities. And here's a couple of stories. One guy named Jean-Pierre and another one named Viviana. Um, Jean-Pierre was a, one of the people who did some terrible things. And he says, My conscience was not quiet, and when I would hear her, I was ashamed. After being trained about unity and reconciliation, I went to her house and asked for forgiveness. And I shook her hand. So far, we are on good terms. This is her story. He killed my father and my three brothers. Did these killings with other people. But he came alone to me and asked for, for pardon. He and a group of other offenders who had been in prison helped me build a house and, with, with a covered roof. I was afraid of them. Now I have been granted pardon. I have granted them heart pardon. Things have become normal. In my mind, I feel clear. These people killed her father and her brothers. And she did what? She forgave them. There's one story after another of how these, you know, first of all, the perpetrator, how much guilt they felt and, and how they felt um, useless and, and that it's just this black cloud of their lives. But once they're forgiven, it set them free. And for the people that were the victims, that when they forgave, they were set free. You know, so often in life, what do people do? Someone does something bad to you, okay? They, they sin against you. And what do we so often do? Put it on. I'm going to get you back. I want revenge. And so often we, we hold a grudge, and sometimes people hold grudges for a long, long time, and what happens to them? Are they happy? No. They're miserable. You see, God wants us to be free. God wants us to live in, in love and forgiveness because what happens when we let the sins of others go? The things people have done to us. Maybe there's some people out there who have done some terrible things to you. They might be thousands of miles away, but they're still living in your head. Or maybe they've even passed away and they're still living in your head. Is that doing you any good? Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. He says, take that sin, take that burden, and do what? Lay it at the foot of the cross. Give it to me. On that cross, he died to take away not only our sins, but the sins of the world. And when we give him our sin, we turn the sins of others over to him, my friends, you're set free. That's what God wants for each and every one of you. He wants you to be happy, joyful, and free. And the key in this process is to forgive, just like Jesus has forgiven us. You know, in closing, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down upon those people. They put them on there, people that done these terrible things to him. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what we see there is an incredible example of forgiveness. And my prayer for us is that just as Jesus forgives us, that we learn to forgive ourselves. We learn to forgive others. 
And we live in that freedom that Jesus wants us to have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us our sins. And we admit to you that we have indeed sinned. But Lord, in the same way, help us to learn to forgive ourselves. Help us to learn to forgive others. I pray that everybody who leaves the sanctuary this early evening, that every one of us leaves here, leaving the sin behind. Knowing we are forgiven, we've forgiven those around us. Help us to go forth in a little bit free, carrying no burden of our sin or anybody else's. We pray this in your name. Amen. This time the offering will be received. You please sign the registers in your rows as well.